This is the third in a series of messages called A Credible Faith. Uh, we're asking if the Christian faith is credible. Uh, we're asking if we are credi credible witnesses for that faith. Uh, the important, most important element in a credible faith is a credible God. Uh, is God credible? Is He worth knowing? Uh, is He real? Can He be counted on? Uh, the answer to all these questions is yes. Uh, God is faithful. He's worthy of your trust. Uh, Malachi is the last prophet in the Old Testament, writes the last book in the Old Testament. He writes to people in Judah, around Jerusalem, who have returned from captivity in Babylon. They're discouraged. Things aren't going as well as they had hoped. They aren't prospering like they assumed. They're questioning God's faithfulness. You could have similar feelings today. Maybe you're struggling with something health-wise. Uh, maybe uh, there's something in your marriage uh, that's a problem. Maybe it's something in your family, your parents or one of your children. Uh, maybe it's you're looking for a job and it's not going well or some problems at your job or you're struggling financially. Uh, maybe your concern is with our city or with our country. I can't tell you for sure how all those things are going to work out, but one thing I can say with certainty is that God is faithful. Malachi tells us that there are at least two ways that God is faithful. One, God is faithful in His calling. God calls you to know Him. He hasn't changed that invitation since the day you were born. Uh, he wants to have a relationship with you. He wants to, have, to be reconciled with you through the death of His Son, Jesus Christ. God says through Malachi, I, the Lord, do not change. That's a huge statement. God is saying, I don't change. This means He is faithful. You can count on Him. The God who created the heavens and the earth, the God who parted the Red Sea, the God who helped David defeat Goliath, the God who raised Jesus from the dead, does not change. You can put your trust in Him. So you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. God had been faithful to the people of Israel throughout the 400 years. They were slaves in Egypt. He was faithful to them throughout the 400 years when they were coming from Egypt to Canaan and then conquering the land. Even though uh, they disobeyed God and many of them were taken into captivity in Assyria, God was faithful to them. Even though others disobeyed God and they were taken into captivity in Babylon, He was faithful to them there. God never forgot them. You can say the same today. The people of Israel did not obey God, so many of them were taken into captivity to Assyria. Some of them came back, some of them stayed, but God did not forget them. Later, many of them were taken into captivity to Babylon. Some of them came back, some of them stayed. Either case, God was faithful to them. When the Romans destroyed Jerusalem in 70 AD, Jews were scattered all 
over the world. Life has not been easy for Jews. Jews have been persecuted wherever they lived. In Europe, Eastern Europe, Russia, Africa, Middle East, the United States at various times cut off immigration for Jews to immigrate to the United States. Anti-Semitism has actually grown in the United States in the last six months. When the Jews were persecuted in Europe and Russia and the Middle East and Africa, and the U.S. would not allow them to immigrate to the U.S., where could they go? Things got so bad for the Jews, it led to the formation of the National Zionist Movement at the end of the 19th century. Their dream was for Jews to return to their homeland in Israel, which then was called Palestine. Out of desperation, Jews began to flee persecution from all around the world back to Israel. Britain, the United States, and the UN made it difficult for them. So them, some of them had to immigrate there illegally. But finally, in 1948, Israel became a nation again. Then Jews flooded into Israel from all around the world. Most of them came because of uh, to flee persecution, but ones that came from the United States came out of inspiration. They are inspired by what they saw going on in Israel. Even though the Jews now have a nation, they continue to be persecuted. Practically all the nations around them hate them. Whenever a vote a resolution is made about Israel in the UN, practically every nation in the world votes against them. Yet God has not forgotten them. Israel named ancient Hebrew in 1948 as the official language of Israel. And so Israel today is the oldest nation in the world in terms of speaking the same language today that they spoke 4,000 years ago. 6.5 million Jews have made their way back to Israel and become citizens. Now, the rebirth of Israel is one of the most amazing modern miracles in the world today. Jory and I are leading a 10-day trip to Israel April 25th to May 6th next year. Uh, by design, I've asked an uh, Israeli-American to lead the trip, to tell us about the history uh, there in the last 100 years. Then I will talk about uh, the life of Jesus and Old Testament uh, texts uh, that we see there. My point is that God has not forgotten His people. God is faithful. God has been faithful in calling the Jewish people to return to Him, and He's been faithful in calling you and me to return to them. God says, ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. These words are not just for Israel. We have all turned away from God. Isaiah writes, We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us have turned to our own way. The message of all the Old Testament prophets can be summed up in one word, return. God created us to know Him. He wants us to turn back from going our own way and follow Him. Everywhere we look in our country and around the world, we see upheaval 
We have turned away from God and messed things up. God is faithful in his message to return to him. Two, God is faithful in his promises. God has made many promises in his word. Uh, Seek me and you will find me. Turn to the Lord and he will have mercy. Isaiah. The Apostle Paul. Let your requests be made to God and he will give you peace. The Apostle John. If you confess your sins, God will forgive your sins. These are just a few of God's promises. Now Malachi focuses on just one promise of God. He says they've all turned away from God. But you ask, how are we to return? There are many ways to return to God. Offer a prayer and say, God, show me if you're real. We admit there's a God. Admit that we've messed up our lives and we need him in our lives. Confess our sins. Open the Bible and read it. Come to church. Serve God in some way. But Malachi suggests one more way we can return to God. Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. Tithes uh, represents the first tenth of our income, giving it back to God. And offerings uh, represents offerings above and beyond that, that we give out of appreciation uh, to God. Uh, Jory and I began this practice of giving back to God the first tenth of our income when we were in grade school. Um, And we've never stopped. Uh, I recommend this to every one of you. Uh, If you're a teenager or young adult or whatever age you are, the earlier you begin this practice, the easier it is to continue it on. If you learn to do this when you have very little income, it's easy to continue it. But it's harder to start it after you've uh, grown into adulthood. Um, God says the people of Israel were not giving to God. This is not unique to the people of Judah. Uh, George Barna says, Among adults who attend church regularly, that's an average of once a month, 37% did not give any money to a church in the past year. Uh, Giving, God says, is one way you can show God that you want to turn back to Him. Giving is one of the last ways we turn over the lordship of our lives to Christ. It's relatively easy to admit that we've messed up and that we need God. It's pretty simple to confess our sins. With any effort at all, we can open a Bible and read it. We can come to church. We can uh, serve in some way. But one of the hardest and last ways we turn over the lordship of our lives to God is through our giving. I was watching TV not long ago, and I saw an ad. It says, we offer you a 90-day money-back guarantee. If you're not completely satisfied, send it back, and we'll refund your money. I thought, my goodness. Only a company that has real confidence in their product would make that kind of offer. I mention this because God makes this challenge through Malachi. God asks the people, will a man rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how do we rob you? In tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, the whole nation of you, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, 
that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. And see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. This is one of the most amazing offers in the Bible. More extraordinary than any 90-day money-back guarantee we see in advertising today. It's unique because God is the one making the offer. God can command us to do things. We're expected to do them, but apparently God feels so strongly about generosity that He turns it into a challenge. He knows our human nature. He knows that we're inclined to clutch what we have and to think that the more we keep, the better we'll do. And so He turns this into like a three-month challenge. He says, don't just take my word for this, that giving will be good for you. Try it. Test me. What do you have to lose? Give to me and see if I don't pour out so much blessing on you, you won't have room enough to store it. So I want to look with you today at God's challenge to be generous and how it helps us draw closer to Him and experience more happiness. God says through Malachi, we'll read it again, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse and see if I will not pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. God promises us blessing if we trust Him with our giving. Now, you may be a bit cynical, like, are you kidding? If I give more to God, He's going to give more back? Really? You might think that people that give generously end up with nothing. They're giving it away. But God says it's like an investment. This is a principle that's repeated frequently in Scripture. Solomon writes, One man gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. A generous man will prosper. He who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. So God says it's just the opposite of the way we think. If we give freely, we gain even more. If we withhold giving, we do worse. Arthur Brooks cites a study that reveals non-givers are 350% more likely to say that they are not happy at all than people who are involved in regular giving. So if you clutch your money and don't give, you have a greater chance of not being happy than if you release your money and give generously uh, to God. Investment guru John Templeton uh, demonstrated through his studies that people who give generously become wealthier. Now, I'm not promising that if you give to God, you'll become wealthy. But I am saying that the truths that Solomon writes... And Malachi writes, have been demonstrated over and over again. God takes care of people who give generously to Him. Some people make the mistake of thinking that since they don't have much in the way of income, they can't give much. This is probably the number one pushback I hear from people about giving. They say, I can't afford to tithe. I've got student loans, I've got debts. The math doesn't work. 
If God wants me to give more, He's going to have to send a lot more money my way. I could be way more generous if I was rich. If you're waiting until you're rich to give, you're going to be waiting a long time. An economist named H.F. Clark talks about, based on his research, what he calls the 25% rule. He says, everybody, whatever their income level, they want 25% more. And then when you get there, guess what? You want 25% more. And when you get there, same thing. It goes on and on. Nobody's ever gotten rich enough where they still don't want more. You, got, you know that Jory and I have nine kids. Question, who is more satisfied, a man with a million dollars or a man with nine kids? Answer, a man with nine kids because he doesn't want any more. Did you know that on average that people that earn more give less percentage-wise? Uh, we have this illusion that if God gave me more, then I would give more. But John Ortberg shares that statistically, the more money people make, the lower percentage they give away. Another pushback I hear from people is that this whole idea about giving, tithing, is Old Testament. It's not New Testament. Actually, tithing is taught in the New Testament in Hebrews 7, and Jesus teaches about it in Matthew 23. And uh, here's the deal on this one. We find the same God in the Old Testament that we find in the New Testament. Some people say, oh, the God of the Old Testament was cruel and had all these rules, laws, and in the New Testament, he's gracious. But remember the verse we started with? I, the Lord, do not change. God is the same in the Old Testament as he is in the New Testament. God was a gracious in the Old Testament. We are saved uh, in the Old Testament by grace. We're saved in the New Testament by grace. We are called to give generously in the Old Testament. We're called to give generously in the New Testament. So here's the way most people budget their money. Priority number one, live. You pay for food and clothes and house and cars and vacations, whatever you need to live. Priority number two is, oh yeah, we better save something for the future. And then priority number three is give. Welcome to average. Welcome to the way everybody else lives. Live it up because the money is all mine. Why not try God's challenge? Flip it. Here's God's way of setting priorities. Priority number one, give to God. Give off the top before you do anything else. Priority number two, save. You save for the future. And priority number three, then you live on the rest. God says give to him first. He suggests the first tenth. Why the first tenth? He gives us a kind of a benchmark so we know. Let's suppose you go out to eat and your bill is $100. You love the service, so you drop down a $5 bill and give a big smile to, to your waiter as you go out, thinking you're you know, being so generous, not knowing the industry standard is to, is to put down $15 or more. 
And so God gives us a benchmark so we know what's being generous. So let's read God's challenge for the third time. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. That's the challenge. And see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. God says, if you give generously to me, he says, I will provide, stretch, and multiply what you have. He promises to get supernaturally involved in your finances. Who wouldn't want that? If you've never given your life to Christ, you can invite him into your life today, and he will come in and be supernaturally involved in your life. Then God makes another incredible promise. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your field will not drop their fruit before it is ripe, says the Lord Almighty. God says, I'll protect you from making financially disastrous mistakes, making a bad investment, buying a bad house, having a refrigerator or heater go out. The promise is that nothing will, that nothing will, never go, that nothing will ever go wrong, uh, but that God will be supernaturally involved in your finances. But first you have to trust him and give. Priority number one is give. Priority number two is save. Dave Ramsey suggests you put away 15% of whatever you earn every month and just let it build. You're not saving for a car or a house. This is saving for the rest of your life. This shows wisdom, God says. Uh, A recent study showed that 43% of Americans spend more than they earn. They don't save. God says that's not wise. God talks about the wisdom of saving. Uh, The Lord will open the heavens, the storehouse of His bounty, to send rain on your land in season and to bless all the work of your hands. You will lend to many nations, but will not borrow, but will borrow from none. So this principle is true for an individual and also for a nation. He says, the evidence that I'm blessing you as a nation is that you will have margin. Surrounding nations will come to you for loans. You will loan them and receive interest rather than pay interest. Wealthy nations don't borrow, right? I mean, sure you would agree with me that borrowing trillions of dollars from another country will not end well. A sign of financial wisdom is saving. Priority number three is live. You've given to God, you've saved, and then you live on the rest with a great deal of freedom. So you've seen commercials where say 90-day money-back guarantee, try this for 90 days, things like floor cleaners, exercise equipment, home improvement gadgets. It's not the stuff that eternal stakes are on the table for. Today I'd like to give you a challenge that matters. God's challenge. I'd like to challenge you in this area of generosity. If you've not been tithing, I invite you to jump in and test God in this area. Take His challenge. 
Maybe you'd like to take the challenge, but you think, ah, to jump all the way to 10%, I don't know. So let me give you a challenge that maybe would work for you. You say, well, I've got student loans, got too many uh, expenses. How about a 1% increase in your giving? <clears throat> if you're not giving anything, try giving 1%. Or if you're giving 5%, try giving 6%. If you're giving 10%, try going beyond that and giving more and trusting God. I think the best way to do this is not just to pick a number, but to pray to God and ask Him to show you, what do you want me to give? Let Him be supernaturally involved in your decision-making process. So how can you do that? You go to our website, portlandcommunitychurch.org. You, you click on the Giving tab, and then you scroll down to three-month tithe challenge. If God's clearly not blessing you at the end of 90 days, we'll give you your money back. So, God is faithful. God is faithful in His calling, calls you to return to Him, and God is faithful in His promises. He promises to bless us if we give to Him. Uh, he turns this promise into a challenge. And today, we're making it a challenge to you. Dear Father, thank you for your word through the prophet Malachi and your promise that if we will trust you with our giving, with our money, you will stretch our money and get in supernaturally involved in our finances. And so we, we believe you about this and want to trust you today. If you've never invited Christ into your life, you can do that right now and ask Him to forgive your sins. Come in and be the Lord of your life. If you've never made this commitment to, to give to God, why don't you make this commitment today? Whether it's 1% or 5%, 10%, make that commitment. and Say, God, I'm going to trust you in this area and stretch a little bit and trust your promise. God, thank you for all your promises and your word. And uh, you give promises about our finances. And you know how important they are to us, how much we think about them. And so we want to trust you today in this. In Jesus' name we pray.